Hey, Modern Recordists. I'm taking a little time away from producing new episodes of The Modern Recordist to create some space for a couple of other projects that I am working on this summer. And uh, as we've managed to put together a full year's worth of unique episodes in the pipeline, uh, 53 of them in fact, there's plenty of content to pull from and rerun during this downtime. So for the next matter of weeks, which I haven't exactly figured out how many weeks I'll be uh, kind of taking away from the, the show quite yet, but for the next matter of weeks, we are going to be rerunning segments from some of the most popular episodes of The Modern Recordist. This way you get the chance to hear an episode that you might not have heard before or pick up a fresh idea from a popular episode that uh, you might have already listened to, but uh, give you a fresh perspective. Uh, this week we are rerunning the first half of episode 41 with a producer that I work for quite often and a friend of mine, Cliff Goldmacher. This was and uh, still is one of the most popular episodes of The Modern Recordist as Cliff shared a ton of stuff from his 25 plus years experience on building a life as a songwriter. Uh, I'm not going to talk about it too much now as I don't want to end up having to put you through two introductions of this episode, but if you enjoy this rerun, make sure you jump over to johnstinson.com slash tmr041. Remember, there's no H in John. Jump over there and catch the full episode. And uh, real quick, before we punch into the show, I want to uh, take a quick second to prompt you to get subscribed and stay subscribed to The Modern Recordist. The two main ways to do that are, first, by going to my website, johnstinson.com, and putting your email address in the sign-up form. I'll make sure you never miss an episode of The Modern Recordist. And additionally, I'll also send you stuff on recording and mixing and producing and songwriting and creative flow from time to time. But if you're more of an iTunes person, you can also fire up your podcasting app or pop open iTunes on your laptop or desktop, search for The Modern Recordist, and click or tap that little subscribe button there. While on iTunes, make sure you take a quick second to leave a rating and review as well. Good and honest ratings and reviews. Let other people know how much you're getting out of this podcast. It also helps us to continue to produce content and bring on guests that you find valuable and that you enjoy. And finally, if uh, you are getting something out of listening to this podcast, make sure you share it with a friend or three. Go ahead and drop a link in a text message or an email or a tweet or a Facebook post and let your friends know how much you're getting out of listening to The Modern Recordist. Okay, friends and modern recordists, onwards to the show. Please enjoy this rerun of episode 41 with songwriter, producer, and educator Cliff Goldmacher. This is episode 41 of The Modern Recordist, and another episode with an in-studio guest. It's going to be a super packed episode with tons of awesomeness. We're going to be hanging out in the studio for the next hour, hour and a half with a very accomplished songwriter. This is the podcast where we talk all about designing and living your life as an extraordinary artistic visionary, discussing inspiring and creative ideas around making music and art that creates an impact in the world. On this podcast, we sit down with musicians, songwriters, artists, producers, and all manner of artistic visionaries to learn exactly what we have to do 
and who we have to be to create meaning and live out our artistic visions. I'm your host, John Stinson, a Nashville-based producer and recording engineer, a collector of experiences, a lifelong learner, a lifelong teacher, and an artistic visionary in my own right, and I welcome you to episode 41 of The Modern Recordist. Sitting across from me today, I have a songwriter, musician, producer, engineer, and author. He's been in the music business for more than 20 years, and in that time, he's worked and collaborated with up-and-coming songwriters, multi-platinum selling artists, and Grammy winners. These people include artists such as Keb Moe, Kesha, Lisa Loeb, Chris Barron of The Spin Doctors, Mickey Hart of The Grateful Dead. Uh, he's had uh, songs cut by major label artists in country, pop, and jazz, and his song, Till You Come To Me, went to number one on the jazz charts. In addition to all this, my guest today is a multi-studio owner with studios in Sonoma, California, and Nashville, Tennessee. He's a producer that I actually work for quite often as an engineer here in the Nashville studio, so I'm feeling pretty at home right now. My friends, please welcome to The Modern Recordist, playing us into the show with a song that he wrote, Cliff Goldmacher. How could I possibly know what it would take to make you look at me? Whether you ebb or you flow, how much sugar to put in your tea? I'd be wasting my time Trying to get you to make up your mind There's no way I can make your heart fall What I say makes no difference at all No one told Ella how to swing It's a chemical thing Either it is or it ain't Not that I'd mind if the answer was yes But I'm not gonna sit here and wait Cause you're not a teacher and this ain't a test I know what I like But I can't convince a bolt of lightning to strike, no There's no way I can make your heart fall What I say makes no difference at all No one told Einstein what to think It's a chemical If there's chemistry, we'll interact inevitably, but there's no way I can make your heart fall. What I say makes no difference at all. No one told Marilyn when to It's a chemical thing 
It's a chemical thing Awesome. Uh, what tells the name of that song? That one is called Chemical Thing, and I wrote that with my friend Scott Carter a couple of years back. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate you uh, being here on the show today, Cliff, and um, this is going to be fun. I, I uh, you know, we work together a lot, and it's fun to uh, get the drop in while you're in town because you're always around everywhere, and uh, it's a fun thing. And usually, you're the guy behind the screen, and today we're sitting in the room together, and. Uh, yeah, it's going to be fun. So thank you for hosting The Modern Recordist at your studio today and uh, being a guest on the show. I'm happy to do it, really. Awesome. This is this is fun, and it's nice to be uh, recorded by a recording engineer instead of doing it myself. It's very decadent. <laughs> awesome. So I was uh, putting um, together, kind of doing a little bit of homework and stuff like that, just kind of getting prepped up for the show, putting together um, how I wanted my intro to go, and uh, making sure I was hip to all the, the latest kind of stuff that you've been doing and have done, and... When I was putting all this together, I, I was like, wow, like it just kind of really like I never I guess I never really stopped to think about it too much. But you're like you're super prolific. You've done a lot of things. It's, it's interesting. You know, uh, our relationship is, is very focused. You know, we work as producer and engineer together and we've been doing it for almost a decade now, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but yeah, we don't ever talk about the other stuff that I do, which is, you know, fully two thirds of the other stuff that I do is stuff that we don't ever talk about. But yeah, you know, you stick around long enough and yeah. get things done, I guess. Yeah, that's cool. So, um, yeah, I want to circle back around to that song really quick. Um, and you said, who'd you say you wrote it with? I wrote it with Scott Carter, who's okay. a collaborator of mine who lives here in Nashville. Cool. And so where, uh, tell like kind of the story of, of that song, like where did, was that w for an artist cut or uh, kind of where did that song end up? You know, it's, it's, a, it's a good question. Scott and I met back in the day when we were both doing uh, writer's nights around town. So this is a, <laughs> quite a few years okay. ago, probably the mid 90s, if I had to guess. Mm -hmm. And uh, Scott is a fabulous artist in his own right. Great singer, great guitar player, great songwriter. Mm -hmm. uh, and one of the first times we got together, we were just talking about whatever you talk about before a session starts. Mm -hmm. And um, he was saying something about the fact that, you know, you think you know someone and you don't really know them. Like, for example, you could never know exactly how much cream someone wants in their coffee. That's yeah. such a personal yeah. thing. And so that was kind of the jumping off point for the song. There's a line in the song about how much sugar you want in your tea. Uh -huh. And it was it was based on this idea that on some level, we can't possibly know what another person is thinking or how they feel. Uh -huh. So that was kind of the, the cool. basis of it. That's awesome. Yeah, fun. So, uh, yeah, so you guys just, uh, you, you wrote and recorded that together. And uh, and then uh, where where did it go from there? And You know, at this point, I'm really the only person that's made a recording of it. Cool. Um, I put it out on a compilation uh, a while back. Uh, and I'm trying to remember the name of the compilation now. But it, it made it out there a little bit. But for the most part, it's one that, uh, although I don't perform very often, mm -hmm. it's one that I generally do in my shows just because cool. it sort of sits in my three-note vocal range really nicely. Nice. <laughs> cool. So, um, you've written something like 
a thousand songs. Did I have, I have that right? <laughs> yeah, but not today. Right. It's yeah. been over the years. Yeah. <laughs> all today, all in like the last. You before wrote a thousand you, songs this week, right? Yeah. Before yeah. you came over this yeah, morning, I just right. sat down and yeah. knocked out yeah, a thousand. Yeah, that's how like most people, anybody at the top, that's how it, how it goes, right? That's yeah. how we do it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, top of what? <laughs> you can fill in the blank. <laughs> uh, take that for what you want. But, but uh, uh, yeah, you've written like a thousand songs. And so that's something that's super prolific and not um, something that happens by accident. No, certainly not. You know, for me, uh, moving to Nashville when I did, and I was living in the Bay Area, I'd gone to college in the Bay Area and was doing what I refer to as playing guitar for drunk people for a living. Yeah. I was playing bars yeah. and, and I was starting to write my own songs and I'd written a couple of them and they were such dramatic things for me because I was so new to the process. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I would write a song and I would agonize over it. I'd stay up late and I'd wake up early and yeah. try and work on it some more. Okay. And and it wasn't until I moved to Nashville that I realized, you know, it's not necessarily about agonizing over any one song. As much as it, as it is just sort of learning your songwriting process by writing a lot. Mm. And when I got here, it became abundantly clear to me that collaboration and just writing all the time was the way I was going to get better at yeah. this. And so those thousand songs, a lot of them came from me writing with other songwriter friends of mine as we were kind of learning um, our craft. Yeah. You'll notice that I didn't say I've written a thousand great songs. Right. That, that didn't yeah. come up. Yeah. Uh, so a lot of it is just kind of learning what you're doing. Yeah. Um, but I've always believed that songwriting is a muscle. And the more right. that you work it, the stronger it gets and the easier it becomes. Yeah. Um, that's something, you know, that I, I, I like to talk about a lot, uh, kind of drill into with people lately. It's been an interesting conversation. I don't know if you've ever, have you ever uh, come across the book The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield? I believe I've heard the name, yeah. but I've not read it. It's, uh, I, I, I need to reread it. I've read it once and I need to reread it. But it's, that's the com the common theme is um, about, you know, profession. He's a, um, he's a, uh, like an author, book author, and he's written some, uh, like, movies, screenplays and things. Uh, but, uh, you know, he talks a lot about professional, you know, you, you show up to do the work, you know, yeah. and it's and it's like showing up to do the work and, um, you know, having a discipline to finish the work. Yeah. And, uh, you know, not this idea of like, I think a lot of um, where people can can uh, sort of I'm waiting for inspiration to strike or whatever. Yeah. And it's like, well, you've got to show up and you got to clock in and do the work. And so, um, you know, when you have a catalog that you've, you know, you've, you sounds like you've done that work, you know, and, and you kind of like, you were talking about, um, just showing up to Nashville to, to, you know, and kind of putting in the work that way. But what does it kind of look like for you? Like, you know, what is that? Because it's not, you know, from the outset in, I think a lot of times, uh, or, you know, in isolation, like one creative to another creating art in isolation um, can maybe kind of come up with these preconceived notions about like, well, there's a gap, you know, not misunderstanding what the gap is between this guy, you know, he does all this and he's achieved this and I'm not doing it, you know, and not not really thinking about like what's an actual day in the life. How do you how do you actually create a body of work like that? You know, what, what's your discipline? Well, you know, I think the the danger and the thing that can be a little bit daunting if you're a new songwriter is, you know, you're listening to a podcast and the, and the host says to the guest, oh, you've written a thousand songs. And your immediate reaction is, oh, my God, I can never, you know, how in the world am I going to be able to write a thousand songs? Well, you do it over 
2,000 days, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, you know, over all of these, these years and years and years. And by the way, it's closer to 25 years now that I've been doing this. So it wasn't like I sat down and wrote a 1,000 songs yeah. like I was joking about. It really is just so much of a career in music is about these little tiny incremental steps. Mm-hmm. And so as far as the way I look at it, and still, by the way, look at this, is I just kind of have to get up every day and do something. And that something is going to add up. And it's it's amazing to me how and I only halfway joke when I when I say that the first twenty years in the business is the hardest. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's this thing that happens after you reach sort of a critical mass of effort, which is that good things start to happen seemingly randomly, mm-hmm. when in fact there's nothing random about it at all. Mm-hmm. You've done twenty years of sort of grinding and day in and day out writing songs and I'll give you an example. Recently, uh, a song of mine looks like it's going to get picked up by an artist. It's written 13 years ago. Mm. So 13 years ago, I wrote this song and then got up the next day and wrote something else. And, you know, on some level you remember it, but on another level you just move on. Yeah. And it's amazing how over time, if you're consistent in your work, good things start to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, How do you kind of... How would you sort of, or, or when thinking back to when you kind of like were at the beginning, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. how do you sort of stay motivated towards that? Some people, you know, it's like they maybe kind of have the uh, the vision of what they want, sort of the end result, but then sort of like staying motivated on a daily basis for those little things. You that, know? That's it. That the that is the word. Motivation is the word because your motivation has to be so much stronger than any sort of material rewards that you're going to be getting along the way. Mm-hmm. So much of this is about just sort of doing the work. And for me, and I think if you're lucky enough to find something in your life that you're you're actually passionate about, I, I think for me the motivation was I'm genuinely moved to do this. Mm-hmm. Like I want to do this and I want to get better and I want. You know, I actually had to stop and think not that long ago about sort of what what I'm wired, why I'm wired like I am, mm-hmm. and, and what is it that if I had a sort of a lifelong mission statement, what is that? And it's kind of been unchanged since the beginning, which is for me to connect with people through songs, mm-hmm. whether it's writing the songs or, as you well know, you know, recording songs for clients, helping them mm-hmm. sort of put their songs in the best light. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's always about sort of connecting with people through songs and to get all the way back around to your question. I think that's always on some level what's what's motivated me. Cool. Just connecting. Yeah. That connection that, that music yeah. can make. So uh, you mentioned um, so you'd written this song and like 13 years later, it was up to get placed and so it's kind of like it made me think if i think it was thomas edison had said like the harder i work the luckier i get that's it you know and something in in what you were saying was kind of like reminding me of that but um how does something like that happen if you're if you so you've written this you, you wrote wrote a song and then like 13 years later uh because a lot of times um you know in, in sort of like entertainment business and kind of like what we do whether it be uh you know in the production world or whether it be in the songwriting world or you know uh an artist um, it's kind of like what's the everybody's like, well, what have you done lately? Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I can remember working with a um, producer who had had a, a a credit list, some pretty huge, famous people, right? And but but then there were some projects where people were still kind of like trying to these A and R guys were trying to like nickel and dime and stuff. And and hey, will you do a will you audition or do on on spec or whatever? And it's just like, wow, even this guy, you know, like 
um, so a lot of times it can be like, uh, what have you done lately and that kind of thing. But when you're talking about, uh, you know, a song that was written 13 years ago, um, how does something like that happen where it didn't sort of like disappear into the ether and then? And well, then... That, I mean, that's the question, right? Yeah. And so I, I think for me, there, there are a couple of there are a couple of parts to this story, and one is um, relationships, and I and I, you know, I hesitate to use the word networking because it it comes with sort of this extra freight of schmoozing yeah. and staying out late and doing, and it's it's not that. What I mean by networking is the people that I met in the first couple of years that I moved to Nashville are still the people that I, on a regular basis, interact with. Um, and in this particular instance, when I first moved to town, I was I needed a day job, mm-hmm. like almost anybody who moves to town. Mm-hmm. And I worked at a magazine selling advertising. And fortunately, it was a music magazine, so I met some pretty interesting people, but they really only knew me as the ad guy, okay. right? So I met the head of a label called Putumayo. And Putumayo is this, if you haven't seen them, they're um, these multicolored sort of covered world music CDs that you find in Whole Foods okay. and some sort of clothing okay. stores. You'll recognize them if you see them. Um, and I became friends just as the guy who sold ads to the president of that company. So I'll try and keep this somewhat abbreviated. Long story short, years later... We have what, plenty of time on the show, by the way. So <laughs> well, then, <laughs> You can then tell the long version if you want. Take but, a drink of water yeah, and yeah, lie down. Yeah. It's going to be a minute. <laughs> um, so long story short, years later, when I was doing music full-time, I reached back out to Dan and I said, Dan, I don't, I don't know if you even remember me, but Cliff Goldmacher and I used to sell you advertising. And uh, after a series of back and forths, I, he agreed to listen to something that I was working on. It was a jazz project for a woman named Heather Rigdon. Cool. And Dan liked the project, liked it enough to where he took one of Heather's songs and put it on a compilation. Um, And this was because, well, on some level, it was because we knew each other. I mean, I would like to hope that he's only putting things on there that he genuinely thinks are worthy. Mm -hmm, But mm -hmm. but I guarantee that foot in the door was because I was the guy that sold him advertising 10 years prior. Long story short, because Dan became a fan of Heather's, He's just always kept her on his radar, mm-hmm. and a song that I wrote, ironically, with Scott Carter, is also on that same Heather record, and Dan just loves the record and was cool. considering using another one. And so there's sort of circles within circles, right? Yeah. Like, it's it's relationships, and it's staying in touch, in, and in not a sort of manipulative or sort of seedy way. Mm-hmm. I, I just genuinely feel like when you have a group of people that you know, and you've got a shared history... It's easier to do business then and have it feel more organic as opposed to you just wanting something. Mm-hmm. So in this instance, that's why that song that that Scott and I wrote 13 years ago was on Dan's radar. Mm. So yeah, it's about uh, it's about you know build, building authentic relationships. A- at the end of the day, yeah. And and you were saying like you know that that uh, um, you had hoped that Dan put that song on there because he genuinely liked the song, but it's also and, and that's totally the you know the case but it's also you know it's kind of i feel like a two-part thing right like like maybe somebody liked the song but they probably wouldn't have known about the song or whatever had you not been sort of on their radar and like reached out to them and made that connection and and kind of in a way like you know presented and pitched something in in effect you know and that that actually if you want to talk about day-to-day routine um at the end of the day as, as great a songwriter as you may be, if you are unwilling to do the unromantic work 
of checking in with people and seeing if they're looking for songs mm -hmm. or figuring out ways to get your songs out in the world, then you will be a very, very talented songwriter that no one has ever mm -hmm. heard mm -hmm. of. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just so tempting to think. And believe me, I was guilty for the longest time. The temptation is to think, if I just get really good at what I do, it's all going to work out. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it doesn't work that way. In mm -hmm. my experience, at any rate, there are... I mean, a handful of people who are just so undeniably brilliant at what they do that the world comes to them. But for the rest mm -hmm, of us, mm -hmm. it is absolutely about getting up and doing the unromantic work of pitching your songs. It's, I mean, you've got a product and you got to sell it. Yeah. And that's the, that's the end of it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That really resonates. That's, that's awesome. Um, so I want to, uh, I want to uh, get into a little bit of like the nitty gritty of, of writing a song. Like... Um, how you approach it, you know, when you're sitting down to write a song, uh, like how do you typically start and uh, how do you typically keep your kind of your creative flow going through to completion? Well, I think it's changed over the years. Early on, I was writing by myself for myself and the process was completely unpredictable and basically all the planets had to line up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, that's not exactly, you know, a reliable method, right? As we were kind of talking about, like that's kind of what uh, uh, the War of Art is kind of all about, you know, blowing the blowing that uh, idea just kind of out. Yeah, it does. It yeah. doesn't work if you want to write consistently. Mm -hmm, it it mm -hmm. works if you're genuinely looking at this as something where you're just going to wait until you're completely inspired. I mean, there's no shame in that. Mm -hmm. But if you want to have a career at this, it's not really a viable yeah, method. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then when I moved to town, so much of my co-writing was just with other songwriters, like all the people who, <laughs> metaphorically speaking, we all got off the boat together, right? So mm -hmm, we all came okay. to town around the yeah. same time. Um, and we were writing songs and we were kind of messing up and learning how to do it. And, and I know this is going to come as a shock to you, but I'm a bit of a control freak. <laughs> and uh, so for me, it was really hard to let go in a writing session. Okay. I had, it took me a long time to realize, oh, hey, dummy, stop for a second. And why don't you just figure out what you're good at? And what your collaborator is better at. Mm. And let them do the thing that they're better at mm -hmm, instead of imposing mm -hmm. your mediocrity on them. Mm. And then you'll both end up with something that's better than you could have done alone. Mm -hmm. So it took me a lot, a lot of years to learn that. Mm -hmm. These days, and, and now I'll get into sort of the nitty gritty of what my writing process mm -hmm. is like. Because this has been my reality for like the last 10 years. I write with artists for their records. Mm -hmm. So it okay. is no longer me writing, with very few exceptions. It's rarely me writing with another songwriter. It's more that it is my job, since I've been doing this for a while, mm -hmm. to sit in a room with an artist, some of whom I've met before, some of whom it's essentially a co-writing blind date, mm -hmm. and to very, very quickly and hopefully organically get into their headspace, figure out what's meaningful to them, and then help them articulate that in a song. Okay. So so a lot of it for me now is knowing that the moment I sit down with someone, my antenna have to be up. Mm -hmm. I have to be every I mean everything from body language to mm. their mood to what they're talking about. And I cannot tell you the number of times we've written a song based on an exact sentence or phrase mm. that an artist used. As a matter of fact, there's a song I wrote with a, a wonderful New York artist named uh, Crystal Monet Hall. And she sat down and the first thing she said is, I'm a little bit tired of singing about love, mm -hmm. which we turned into the first line of the song. It just felt like such a, you know, a thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, I think these days so much of the writing process is just being 
receptive to what the other writer, artist writer, mm-hmm. is feeling and is moved by. Because at the end of the day, if we write a song that I'm really excited about that the artist doesn't like, uh, that doesn't really do anybody any good. Because mm-hmm. I, I don't have an artist career. I'm not going right. to be out there yeah. performing. And if they don't like it, then I've essentially kind of imposed my will on them, mm-hmm. which that's not what it's about. Sure, sure. So, uh, so you, you kind of coming in uh, most of the time working with artist writers, recording yeah, artists, pretty much. That's right. And so collaborating with them, and uh, and and it really just kind of starts with like a conversation and just kind of sitting down and just kind of like hanging out and making it comfortable and getting to know one another. And yeah, almost yeah. always, cool. almost always, that's how it starts. You know, I, I've I've been doing this long enough now to where I'm I'm comfortable with the concept of going in cold. Mm-hmm. It doesn't do me any good to come in with an idea, generally. Okay. Because it's the artist's song. Mm-hmm. I mean, I really look at it as the artist's song. Yes, we're going to write it together. Mm-hmm. And yes, I'm going to do everything I can to, to contribute and, and make sure that mm-hmm. it, it's a, a strong song. But it's not my vision. It's right. Ultimately, okay. it has to feel like something that the artist is emotionally connected to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and let's take the best worst case scenario. We write a song that the artist has to sing in every show for the rest of yes. their career. Yeah. So right. you know, put yourself as a, as a beginning writer. Put yourself in that mindset and think to yourself, well, what can I write with this artist that they are going to want to sing? Yeah. Okay. Every time they sit down to perform. Yeah. Cool. Cool. And it just all starts with like a personal kind of emotional, just personal. Yeah. Personal I mean, connection. it's it's yeah. no secret that. Uh, you know, being the son and brother of therapists, both my mom and sister okay. are therapists. I actually didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. So that, you know, it's no secret that that, that is a, a big part of kind of my approach to this is yeah. just being a listener and, and being Yeah, aware. it's interesting, you know, and it's funny because it's like, um, you know, you can get caught up in sort of like the business of music so much that a lot of times you kind of have to re- hit the reset button and go, well, wait, but this is like, you know all about emotion and art and all that kind of stuff is, is like where this stuff comes from, you know? Yeah. And, and it's funny how a lot of times, you know, um, I don't do a lot of co-writing. I really, you know, that's not really kind of my world. And so, but but I've got a lot of friends that do and I'm having more of these kinds of conversations with them. And just, it's funny how, uh, even I guess even as a, a producer, you know, uh, in the kind of production work that I do, uh, sitting down and having, it, it always kind of starts with those kinds of conversations and just like, like talking about personal stories and maybe even getting a little bit vulnerable and things like that and just setting up a safe space where you can just kind of have those conversations. Oh, that's, with people. that's it. That's yeah. exactly it. And, and I'll tell you something else. I, and I, I look at this the same way I look at studio technology. I've spent many, many, many years working on the nuts and bolts of songwriting, the craft of songwriting, mm-hmm. so that in a perfect world, that disappears. I have that mm-hmm. as my mm-hmm. sort of structure, but I want the writing session to feel more like a conversation, mm-hmm. not more like, okay, now I know we need a pre-chorus. Right. I don't want to talk about that yeah, stuff. It's yeah. my job to sort of know that internally and guide the process. You know, a lot of times the artists that I work with may be exceptional vocalists and great performers, but don't have the benefit of a thousand songs under their sure, belt. Sure, So, you know, a lot of that craft, a lot of that nuts and bolts kind of construction stuff... Mm-hmm needs to be there but it doesn't need to be visible right so that it feels like just an extended conversation Mm -hmm. uh that makes me think of a bruce lee quote which was uh uh i what was it um when i started 
when I started in martial arts, um, a, a punch just looked like a punch and a kick just looked like a kick. And then as I progressed and uh, it, it, a punch looked nothing like a punch and a kick looked nothing like a kick. And then once I became a master, a punch just looked like a punch and a kick just looked like a kick. So it's kind of like, I don't know, just sort of like disappeared and it was about a sort of like a higher order of, of things, you know. That's it. Yeah. You, you stop finding the need to think about how songs are supposed to go. That's internalized. Mm-hmm. And, and what's nice about that is you can keep your focus on the artist and about their experience in a way that that allows you to just stay, like you said, vulnerable and open and safe mm-hmm. without sort of breaking that kind of it's almost trance like sometimes mm-hmm. when things are going well and you don't want yeah. to break that yeah it's, it's like you find the flow like yeah. you just get into the flow that's, that's really cool word. yeah very cool so um to you this is kind of a higher level higher sort of abstract question but uh what makes what kind of like makes it up the essence of of a good song mm. so so i'm going to uh, i'm going to give you a bit of my philosophy about good and bad songs. Okay. okay. So, so for me, I, I actually I, I'm very hesitant to use those terms. Okay. Uh, good to me sort of implies that there is such a thing as a bad song. Mm-hmm. And you know, well, the example I always use, and please forgive me, Billy Ray, but "Achy Breaky Heart" mm-hmm. is not a song that I would rave about. Mm-hmm. But I kind of wish I'd written it. Yeah. So, right, so okay. is that a bad song? Well, maybe years ago I would have said, "Oh, God, that's a bad song." Mm-hmm. Um, but it was moving enough to where it became a big hit. So it moved right. enough people, heaven help us, to where it became yeah. a, a big hit. So, so I almost look at good and bad, and, I, and I'm sincere about this. I look at good and bad as did I achieve the vision that I set out for when I sat down to write this song, or did I not? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm imagining the arc of the song. Did I did I nail my vision of how I thought this song was going to go? Mm-hmm. Or did it somehow fall short? Like, does it not move me the way I hoped it would? Okay. And that's how I define good and bad now. Okay. Not, is, you know, not in some sort of objective, these are good songs and these are bad songs, because there are songs that I don't care for that have been tremendously successful that other people sure. love dearly. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, good and bad is kind of relative. But sure. for me, I usually use those terms to define, in my own work, um, is this good in the sense that I achieved what I set out to achieve, mm-hmm. or didn't I? Cool. So what's that? It's just like kind of tapping into a uh, like an emotional response in yourself and being connected to that emotional right. response. That, that's exactly yeah. it. You know, if I were to listen back to the song either the next day and often it's the next day mm-hmm. when the truth kind of comes out because okay. you're so wrapped up in the process the day of that everything feels, you hope, everything feels good. Um, the next day when you listen to it, does it still do the thing? Is it still mm-hmm. moving you the mm-hmm. way? And if it isn't, maybe there's something that needs to be done. Mm-hmm. Uh, so with the like the vision of the song and all that stuff, is it kind of like you're you're going, uh, maybe I want to write a song about this or, or you kind of maybe, you know, Based on a conversation you had with somebody or something, it comes up and goes, and it's just like that feels like something that that feels right. Let's follow that lead. Yeah, and it's not that I can even always articulate the vision at the outset. Yeah, right. But I guess what I mean by the vision is, by the time you listen to the whole song, by the time it's done, have I taken the message? Have we, as a collaboration, and you know, this is never just me on my own. Mm-hmm. Have we, as a collaborating team? 
articulated this message in a way that we are both proud of, that is sort of watertight. Like, did we stay on the theme? Did we did we really bring it home? And is it moving? Is there mm-hmm. juice in this thing? Mm-hmm. Or is it just this kind of nicely crafted, completely devoid of emotion thing, uh-huh. which is the risk if you worry too much about the craft and not enough about kind of the, the emotional seed of the mm-hmm. song? So, and it's, imagine that it's like a a level of kind of trusting yourself. You know, if you're using like sort of your internal sort of emotional gauge to go, am I moved or whatever? And after a while, just, uh, you know, kind of like, yeah, and trusting yourself. Yeah? That, that's a great observation, and that's exactly it. You know, so many beginning songwriters don't think they've written a good song until someone else tells them mm-hmm. they have. I mean, that's you can't do that. You can't do that and sustain a career. Mm-hmm. You can't rely on other people's opinions of your music. I mean, it always feels good. Mm-hmm. It always feels good for someone else to like your song. But I, I think about, well, here's a story that I love. Um, I got a chance to work with Julie Gold, and, mm-hmm. and Julie is a New York-based songwriter who wrote a song uh, called From a Distance that Bette Midler recorded, and it won the song for Grammy Song of the Year. It won okay. the award for Grammy Song okay. of the Year. Now, like it or not, that's about as good as it gets in yeah. our business. Yeah. Song of the Year is what you want. Right. Um, she played the song for Clive Davis, who, by all standards, is a tastemaker. He yeah. knows what is, and uh, large quotes here, Good and bad, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. He she played that song for him prior to it getting cut, and his response, if I remember Julie's story correctly, was, "It's a really pretty song, but there's no commercial potential here." Hmm. So, so if at that level, those kinds of decision makers can be, and let me put this exactly right, one hundred percent wrong, mm-hmm. then why not just listen to your own gut? Yeah, yeah. There's no one else to believe at that yeah. point. Yeah. Interesting. Very cool. That's that's uh, I love it. Um, and that's, I think, a, a, a really um, I, I, I think that that's a big I, like with up and coming kind of people who who haven't uh, maybe less experienced, you know, um, I think that trusting yourself, you know, um, is a big one, you know, and letting thing kind of that be the seed uh, to kind of let everything from from that flower out, you know, to to just be your barometer for, you know, what you create. It takes time. Yeah. And, and I don't want to be unfair. It's very, very difficult early on. And I struggled with this for many years. It's very difficult to trust yourself. And I think the only way to end up trusting yourself is to actually put in the time. The more that you write, the more you'll know whether or not you're speaking to your own artistic voice. Mm-hmm. Um, early on, you're just kind of throwing darts at a dartboard. You know, mm-hmm. you, you just don't know. Um, but the more that you write, the more you'll be able to sort of tell, hey, this feels like when I'm at my best. Mm-hmm. And that that comes in time. That does not come right away, at least not for not for most mm-hmm. of us. Cool. So um, here's some here's some uh, kind of like switch gears just a little bit into some like kind of like lifestyle questions because I'm kind of interested in this. Uh, um, one of them, I guess, is kind of like it's a good segue is like to talk about a little bit about fear and anxiety mm-hmm. kind of stuff because uh, as you're starting out, um, uh, you know kind of trying to find your way and ha- not having as much experience sort of trust yourself and then you're kind of putting yourself out there 
making yourself kind of vulnerable, and it can kind of be a, a scary thing to say, you know, like, here's this song that my art that I created and now I've got to show it to people and now I've got to get some feedback or, you know, maybe I'm going to play, um, play live, play the stuff in front of people. Maybe I'm going to play it in a boardroom in front of, you know, some decision makers or gatekeepers or something like that. You know, there's a lot of places where like that fear and anxiety can crop up and then, and then people can maybe kind of hold themselves back. Um, can you talk about your experience with that and sort of like how you pushed through as you kind of came up? Yeah, you know, it is. It's a very real feeling, especially early on, making yourself vulnerable when songwriting is such a personal process. You know, my greatest fear for the longest time as I was learning my craft was not that I would write terrible songs. It was that my songs would be mediocre. Mm. That was the fear. It was like, oh, yeah, Cliff, he writes his songs are fine. So you would have written rather kind of like had the feedback of people saying like, that's just terrible. Then Yeah. Okay. You know, on some level, I think I would have because okay. if, it, you know, one of the things I've observed over the years is that if you're emo- if you're evoking some sort of emotional response, then you're doing it right. Okay. But mediocre yeah. is like, uh, nah. Yeah. You know, yeah. and that was the fear. The fear was I, I was writing these things that just even though they were deeply meaningful to me. Mm-hmm. They weren't. They weren't connect. It goes back to that idea yeah. of connection. Right. I wasn't connecting with anybody. They were just mediocre. So right. that was the that was the fear for a very long time. Was that I was just kind of doing okay. Yeah. And how do you figure that out? Like because I think a lot of people aren't gonna. Um, you know. I mean, have you ever had somebody say that's just flat out terrible? I actually had a guy tell me once, and this is my favorite part because this is a song uh, that other people enjoy. Okay. Told me he hated my song. Okay. Told me he hated it. Uh-huh. Which, first of all, let me just tell you something, boys and girls. There's never a time to tell someone you hate their song. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, if somebody in the industry, and this was a record exec. Okay. If, if somebody in the industry ever says that to you, I need you to remember that that speaks volumes about them and nothing about you. But when I, when I was told that, I just remembered thinking... Well, luckily, I'd had enough positive response from the song to where I could just sort of look at it as this oddity, mm-hmm. you know, that somebody yeah. would go out of their way yeah. to tell me they hated the yeah. song. Yeah. Um, and it, I mean, this was close to 20 years ago. I've not forgotten it. Yeah. yeah. But it, it didn't shut me down. Right. Okay. So, just weird. Yeah. So, but but it's it can be difficult to decipher, I think, a lot of times because most people, even like, you know, record executives or... Um, there's, a, there's all kinds of people, right, that will that aren't going to say that's terrible or I hate that or whatever, when in fact it's like it doesn't resonate with them, but they'll give you the feedback like, you know, oh, that's cool. Or, or you know, it's kind of like, you know, um, inauthentic feedback. How do you decipher that and figure that out and know that like um, that because it can be easy to think people go you get lost in that mediocre zone that you were talking about mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you're not getting this polarized feedback one way or another to kind of figure it out. How do you, how do you kind of figure that out? Well, and this comes back to just believing in yourself. You know, okay. I think that early on, uh, professional song critiques and things like that. And I don't mean industry execs. I mean, you know, professional songwriters offer song critiques. It's sometimes that can be really valuable just to sort of make you aware of the things that you might not know would help your songs. But when it comes to getting sort of industry feedback, even if somebody is seemingly nice to you and says, I like your song, at the end of the day, um, you'll know because they'll put their money where their mouth is. 
right? So if they say they like your song and then they don't return your calls anymore or they don't get it to any of their artists to hear, well, that speaks a little bit louder than whatever they might have said. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, you know, so much of this business is about just picking yourself up after somebody kind of lets you down like that. Yeah. And, cool. and you know, the, the most successful people that I know personally can take a punch. Hope you all enjoyed this rerun of the first part of episode 41 with Cliff Goldmacher. Jump over to cliffgoldmacher.com to follow up with him and check out all his resources. Jump on his email list and uh, check out some of the online courses that he teaches. And again, uh, to catch the full episode, uh, jump over to johnstenson.com slash tmr041. You can catch the full episode uh, with Cliff there. Uh, make sure you get subscribed and stay subscribed. As I mentioned before, share this podcast with some friends and uh, jump over to iTunes, leave a rating and review. That helps out this podcast uh, so much uh, as it helps us to continue to produce great content, bring on great guests. So please do those things for us uh, and join in the tribe. We will continue to put out some, uh, be re airing some of these uh, popular episodes. So In the meantime, go live your life of an extraordinary artistic visionary and create something impactful in the world.